Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast. For the entire month of March, Bloodstream is honoring Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month with daily episodes, and today I'm thrilled to be with you. Thank you all for listening. Subscribe to us on Apple Pods, Spotify, or wherever you get those podcasts. Tell a friend about us. We love word of mouth, and hey, welcome to Bloodstream. My name is Mel Forrest. I'm a producer here with Believe Limited, and I also write and host the most recent season of another podcast called The Pain Pod. With over 50 million people in the U.S. suffering from chronic pain, what do we really know about pain? Well, we attempt to answer this and other pain-related questions through clinician interviews and patient experiences. You can stream The Pain Pod on bloodstreammedia.com. But enough about me. Let's dive into today's topic. Today, our guest is Rebecca Hill, and we will be discussing HIV and Hep C in the community today. Rebecca Hill is the wife of Jonathan Hill, a severe hemophilia A patient who, in the 1980s and 1990s, faced the three H's, hemophilia, HIV, and Hep C. You can read more about Jonathan's story in his recently released graphic novel, Blood of the Paladin. But Rebecca has also seen and experienced firsthand the ups and downs, treatments, advancements, and overall changes within the HIV and Hep C community over the years. Coincidentally, today is also National Women and Girls HIV Awareness Day, so we thought it only fitting to share and highlight her experiences over the years. We'll be back after this quick break with Rebecca Hill. Can you tell maybe a little bit about your relationship to HIV and the HIV community? as well as hemophilia. Yeah, if I I don't even like remember not knowing necessarily, but um obviously through my husband, Jonathan, I um have become a lot more educated. Um I did grow up with um my mom was a nurse, so I always felt like I had this um kind of health background. Um probably knowing just enough to make me kind of dangerous, <laughs> uh, thinking I knew more than I did, but um, she was always really open about her knowledge and her experiences, so um, I just, I don't know, you just kind of know what you know, or you think you know, and you don't really ever remember not knowing. So Jonathan is your husband, and he does have a graphic novel out with us called Blood of the Paladin, which is amazing, and I will say in our audio version, I actually played you, so I feel... <laughs> I know, I feel like a, it's so it's so personal now for me <laughs> to be able to talk with you. Um, but what were some of the biggest misconceptions about HIV and AIDS uh, as you were growing up and when you met Jonathan? What were some of those big misconceptions that now today people don't even consider? Yeah, well, John was always really aware of misconceptions and prejudices. Um, I tend to be a believer of... Um, in the good in people and like best case scenario so i don't always see the behaviors that could be construed as prejudice um but i did know uh, I, I mean we did live in a smaller community um and so i might i probably was pretty sheltered um and i was a kid really when it really became huge in the 80s but um i did know that there was a stigma that this was um really like a gay issue, you know? So, and I, that was 
both horribly prejudiced and dangerously misleading because it really kind of gave you a false sense of security. Like if you weren't gay, this wasn't your problem. But on the other hand, there was a lot of um, misconception about the spread, like just by touching somebody or sharing a meal with somebody. Um, I think fear just tends to create a lot of false information and yeah, so probably as a kid, I had a different perspective, but that's some of what I can remember. Do you think that um, you had mentioned that you uh, that you didn't see things the same way, and maybe you that li- you, you were a little more sheltered? Do you think that actually was to your advantage in your relationship as well later going on that you didn't need to you didn't take in a lot of the negativity? I didn't take in a lot of the negativity, but I also think that just. Um, you know, having those conversations with my mom, I I was like, oh, yeah, I I know what hemophilia was. Um, And so it kind of made sense to me um, that, you know, oh, okay, so if you had blood transfusions, you were probably exposed to, at that time, I think all we really knew was HIV, but um, it really wasn't a big deal to me. which maybe it should have been. Um, But again, I think you just, you don't know what you don't know. And you kind of think you're invincible when you're a teenager and in your twenties. But it just seemed, I I, I guess I'm just super logical. So I thought, well, John already knows the precautions. And so if we're just smart, then it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, that's, well, that's wonderful to hear. And I'm sure that the, your mom, you know, having that knowledge from your mom also helped you to make the decisions that you needed to make. So my mom is a pretty level-headed, logical person too. So I don't ever remember her even questioning my relationship with John. She just, you know, she liked him. Uh, Actually, first time she met him, she thought he was amazing. So I'm like, okay, I guess we don't have a problem with anything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that really, I mean, I think as a mom now, I'm a little surprised maybe it wasn't a concern to her, but, um, yeah, I think we'd always just been so open and she's like, well, you're smart, you'll be smart. So not a problem. That's wonderful. That's so wonderful to hear. Um, did you find that there were challenges though throughout your relationship and, um, these can be, you know, internally, externally, or just logistically that you guys had to face together and as well on your own? Yeah, there were a lot. (laughs) Um, a couple that I remember the, the first big challenge, I guess that we really had was, um, deciding to start a family. Um, Now, this was, we got married in 99, so it would have been the early 2000s, Um, and uh, we explored all of the options that were available at the time, and all of the expense and the pros and cons, and to be honest, I really have no idea how I did all that before Google. I remember printing out all these articles and um, discovering that if we chose to... um, to do natural conception, and if I were to contract HIV through natural conception, that they would do this bloodless cesarean for the birth, and the risk to the baby was like less than one in 2000. And I I can't believe I can still remember these figures, but it was so mind-blowing at the time, because in my research, I discovered that uh, the risk of SIDS and the risk from 
defects or complications from uh, amniocentesis were like one in 400 and one in a thousand. Amniocentesis, which people are like, yeah, sign me up. Uh, that was a huge risk. And I hear I was going to take this tiny, tiny risk. And why wouldn't we? Um, but John, John's a very cautious person. So he took this information to his team of doctors and they all felt that, you know, he never had a viral count, didn't have a viral count, that really we shouldn't have a problem as long as we minimized, you know, did fertility, fertility tracking and minimized the risk of exposure. Um, so this was fantastic news. So I was shocked when a friend, um, you know, disagreed with that and said we were being selfish for wanting to have a family and um, that we were um, condemning what we were condemning this baby to. And uh, that was just kind of mine. I couldn't wrap my head around her, her just anger over it when all the research was saying that, you know, really the risk was so, so small. And really, I think the bigger risk was hemophilia, and that was only if we had a daughter, and if she was a carrier, and if she had a son. So my thought process was, well, gosh, by the time I have a grandson, won't medical technology be so much farther along? More mind-blowing, she's a scientist. So it, it really, um, I, I really could never understand where, what her perspective was, but. Um, wow. I wonder, do you, do you think that maybe it's just like fear, like a fear, like, yeah, I do. And maybe she knew too much. Um, um, and she'd seen people suffer. So I really just think, and she considered John's life to have a lot of suffering. And so I think in her mind, we were just creating another situation for someone to suffer the way that he did. And I said, I, I just don't believe that in 40, 50 years from now, that would be the case. Right, oh wow. That's interesting you say about the suffering. Do you view your life, there was a lot of suffering in your life due to the virus and, and hemophilia at all? Yeah, so um, I considered the, the baby um, planning. So there was a lot of research and it was a challenge at the time. It was like a drop in the bucket compared to later. Um, we definitely um, ha challenged, were challenged greatly during John's liver failure. Um, but when you're, you're kind of, when you're in it, when you're in the trenches, <laughs> you don't really see necessarily um, what the situation or, or you don't see it for what it is. You don't see um, how much he's declining. It was just kind of getting through each hurdle as it came. But he was really sick for about 10 years. But it was the last four, I think, that that really were rough. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was rough on on all of us. And and I I told him I I said sometimes um, I felt like it was really just stubbornness and habit that he was up and walking about, <laughs> you know, just like because your body's used to that. You get up and you do what you do. And but he was just a shell of himself he wasn't very cognitive he was losing weight he just like yeah um so for years i felt like i was a single parent of three kids really um one was dying one was on the spectrum and one was starting to sink into anxiety and depression and really needed more attention from mom but i didn't have it 
to give. So I, I was depressed. I was exhausted. I was definitely struggling. Um, but I, you just do what you have to do in the day and you don't really see it. Like looking back, I'm like, uh, yeah, that was really bad. <laughs> it was really rough, but you're just trying to keep your head above water. It does. It's hard. It's hard for me now, um, looking back, knowing that my uh, good portion of my kids' life was seeing their mom so stressed out. Um, the, the, I would say the the scars are deep for all of us, and it, it really, when somebody in the family is sick, whether it's a child or a parent, anybody, it affects everybody. Um, uh-huh. And I don't really think that I. I mean. When we got married, we knew there was going to be challenges, but you don't know what you don't know. You, you Knowing there's going to be challenges and then experiencing them is a hugely different perspective. You can Absolutely. never be prepared for that. Absolutely. Did you feel like you had a good support system in other ways during that time? Or did you feel kind of a, like on your own ship? <laughs> we did. In the beginning, it was rough. Um, because when we moved to Illinois, we've been here for about 15 years. Mm, yeah, 15 years. But um, it it took a while to make new friendships, to find a church home, to really um, create those uh, valuable relationships. Um, we're both definitely relationship people. John tends to rely... Um, greatly on his, I, I call him the California friends. Um, uh, and that would be those featured in the graphic novel, his, his, uh, D D buddies. Um, uh, they, but they've been lifelong friends and, um, they're very supportive. He's, um, very close to his dad and I'm very, or I was very close to my mom. Um, but she ended up passing unexpectedly about six years ago. So right in the thick of that really dark challenging time what I tried hardest was to create a sense of of normalcy for our family so John was in and out of the ER every other week or so and uh, for a a good chunk of time there and when they were really little it was they dad was going to the doctor now I had a kid on the on the spectrum so we really had to explain things in a way that made sense to him. So dad was going to the doctor, the pets go to the pet doctor, the car goes to the car doctor, the kids go to the doctor, and that was never a scary thing. So dropping him off at the ER became just dad's going to the doctor. Um, to just not make it a scary thing, this was just part of our life. And honestly, I don't think they really know how close he was to dying. They knew he was really sick, but we never discussed the, what if there is no liver? How would you say your life is today though? Like if you were to look at it, you know, outside of your body right now, (laughs) is it much um, obviously different than when you first met John and then, you know, even four years ago and such, would you say it's drastically different? It is drastically different. Um, And I think to the outsider, I think everything probably looks incredibly amazing. Um, John certainly recovered remarkably. Um, There was minimal fallout from the whole surgery and everything. I mean, he has some um, arthritis. He has a compromised immune system, but for the most part, he's thriving and not just barely surviving. Um, So that's huge. 
Uh, Noah, he's our oldest. He's a senior in high school, which um, unfortunately is pandemic affected, so it's not the greatest senior year, but um, but he's doing as well as can be expected. <laughs> um, and then our younger son's doing a lot better. He's still struggling with some anxiety and what we kind of call PTSD because it, it was he was 10 really when um, when things got really bad and we faced our biggest challenges. So his, his level of security was rocked pretty hard. Um, yeah. But I never really thought that I was doing a lot more than just surviving, but I've had so many people tell me otherwise. Um, and, and I do, looking back, I'm like, yeah, it was a lot. I think there were a lot of days I just wanted to crawl into a cave and stay there. <laughs> um, but um, I did have um, what, what I call a uh, kind of a come to Jesus moment where I really had to give up a lot of um, control. Um, that I, you know, you're, you're in charge of your family for so long, you're making decisions, you're dealing with the finances, you're making medical decisions, um, uh, school decisions and all that. And I really just had to give up some of that. Um, I, I'm not controlling everything. And it was, it was creating a lot of stress that was detrimental to my health. So, um, from that point on, I really could kind of begin to heal myself and feel a little more like I was on sol solid ground, really. Um, I learned a lot about myself, <laughs> um, as I think people do when they're, you know, in any kind of trauma. Um, but I think definitely today I'm just really just trying to be healthier, just all, all around spiritually, mentally, physically. That's probably the last one, but, um, you gotta have your, your, spiritually and mentally first, I think, before you really can work on the physically, but, um, yeah, it really, um, I, there's still challenges. I think, I think everybody has challenges and every day is going to bring a different set of challenges. They're just different. They're not necessarily, um, gone. They're just different today, but, um, I would say definitely, um, not like before. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much, seriously, for talking today. It's been an honor. And also, um, you know, your part of the story is also very inspiring. And uh, I really thank you for being with us today to talk about it a little bit. Yay. Well, do you have anything else you want to add? No, no. I, I mean, I don't really. Um, I just, you know, I guess maybe to um, someone who is, um, you know, in my position, you're, you're married to somebody with these challenges. It's just... You're, you're not alone. And I think sometimes you really can feel like you're alone because there's not a lot of people. I, it's not like I had anybody to talk to who was in my same position. Um, but there definitely were a lot of people close to me that um, were willing to pray for me, willing to support me. There were, you know, um, and if you have that supportive circle, it, it does make it a lot more survivable. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rebecca, for being with us. Bloodstream team for your work on the series. Thank you all for listening. And thanks to Kata for being the presenting sponsor of the Bloodstream podcast. Check out bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. And that is all for this episode. Circle back to hear all episodes celebrating Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month and find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
They found out that I had hemophilia when I was two. This is the story of Jonathan Hill. John rolls a death save. A young boy who discovered Dungeons and Dragons gave him a life filled with adventure. In D&D, you can't win unless you work together as a team. Surrounded by his best friends, John escaped his hospital bed for worlds beyond imagination. I think you're ready to become a dungeon master. This is Blood of the Paladin Podcast. 